Some of those faces that you saw on the screen right there are some of our coffee house volunteers, Dale Mish and his crew. And uh, first of all, would you give them a hand for everything they do for us on Sundays? They do a great job. If you've not familiarized yourself with kind of the mission of the coffee house or specifically the actual coffee that we serve, uh, you're missing out. So make sure you stop in the coffee house, pick up one of their brochures about Cafe Creole. That is a Haitian coffee. And uh, we have this unique partnership going on with a grower in, or I'm sorry, a buyer where we get our coffee literally direct from these farmers. And these farmers are actually paid what they're supposed to be paid comparatively to what most coffee growers in third world countries are paid. And so the goal is to really invest in those communities and in those farmers' lives. So huge thing, take advantage of that and uh, tell them Pastor Rich sent you. So that's not going to get you a deal or anything, just so you know. But uh, can we have some fun this morning? Is that okay? Okay. All right. Now that's pressure, so I got to make this fun. So, all right, you ready? May 31st, 2006, Oskaloosa, Iowa. Racing action at the Southern Iowa Speedway was held with Wild Wild Wednesday racing action sponsored by Proline Buildings of New Sharon, Iowa. The fans were treated to some giveaways along with the weekly and national points racing of the USRA Casey's General Store's weekly racing series in action, along with the inaugural Faster Pastor race being held with the local church leaders trying their luck at the always fast Mahaska County Half Mile Monster. Are you pumped up yet? Okay, so. In the fourth and final feature, it was the first ever Faster Pastor Race or Preacher Feature, with seven local church leaders trying their luck around the dirt track for the first time. When the green flag dropped, Dave Grandin from the Point of Grace Church in Ottumwa took the lead with Oskaloosa's Rich Doring of First Church of the Nazarene. Wait, I'm still in second. Hang on. <laughs> Running second. Grandin led until the fourth lap of the six-lap event before losing the lead to Doring. Doring led the final two laps for the win and made history as Mahaska County's first ever faster pastor. <laughs> Best day of my life. Sorry, babe. No, I'm just... Um, <laughs> the guy that you saw playing the bass here is the kid I'm holding right up there on that screen. Um, all right, so there's a whole backstory to the Faster Pastor race, and my wife tells the story a whole lot better than I do. It has to do a little bit with me maybe getting caught speeding a couple weeks earlier and all kinds of different stuff, so good times. There's a couple things I learned in that race. First of all, it was awesome, but, but uh, the second is this. Uh, all of us pastors had a lot more confidence going into the race than we should have because none of us knew what we were doing at all. So the third thing that I learned is this. First of all, it's a race. So you win a race by going fast, faster, faster, okay? So that's how you win the race. So we're all, I mean, as soon as the green light went, we're taken off. And as immediately when we heard, hit the first curve, I learned that none of us knew how to turn. And so you're just going into that curve, and we are all over. I mean, everybody's sliding around, going different directions, all this difference. I can't believe these people let us drive their cars. 
And so I, all of a sudden you kind of got your bearings and hopefully you got yourself reoriented by the time you got to the next straightaway where all of us were so undisciplined, we just rah, trounce on it again and go into that curve just like a million miles an hour, sliding everywhere, turning, slamming on brakes, all that kind of different stuff. That went on for like three and a half laps. So at about that point, I thought, I'm going to win this race. I just decided right then, I'm not going to mess around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win. And so I realized none of us knew what we were doing. So if I just kind of calmed down just a little bit, I wondered, like, am I going to win this race? So as soon as I approached that third turn in the fourth lap, I let up a little bit. I just didn't charge into the curve. And so all I did was just kind of gently ease my way into that curve. And then as I was taking that fourth corner, as soon as I started coming out towards the straightaway, I trounced on that thing. I let those horses ride. And I mean, I blew past everybody because they're all just try, still trying to control this beast that they had in this car. And so that worked. So the next corner comes up, I eased off. I, I didn't stop, you know, I didn't take my foot completely off the gas, but I brought all that power under control so I could come into that curve. And then as I'm getting ready to come out, wham, I just nailed it and just took off. I did so good those last two, if I could just, you know, <laughs> brag on myself just a little bit. I did so good in those last two laps. I actually lapped the guy because we just, none of us knew what we were doing. And somehow in my brain, I figured it out those last two laps. And so I won best day of my life, faster pastor, at least in Mahaska County, Iowa. So that's, that's what I'm known for. So I bring that up because today we're talking about the fruit of the spirit of gentleness, gentleness. So here's the issue with kindness, patience, you know, even faithfulness, all those different words, they sound really nice. They really sound subdued, very, very gentle, right? The problem with that is nice people don't win races. Okay? Nice people don't get ahead. Nice people get walked on. Nice people get abused. They get laughed at. They get bullied. And I got a problem with bullies. Uh, they, they just get trounced on. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And the idea of saying that we need more gentleness it almost kind of sounds like, let's just stand in a circle, hold hands, sing kumbaya, you know, and that, that, to me, that just sounds like weakness. Synonyms for gentleness in the, in the dictionary, soft, meek, mild, submissive. Okay, I don't think those are high on the list of things that people are like, yeah, that's what I want to be. We don't check those things off. But the problem is, is Galatians 5.22 is very specific. These fruit that we are to see emerge out of our lives are fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22.23 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and there it is, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's a, a book that was written way back in 1981. Somebody gave me a copy of it, and... Uh, it was by a guy named Chuck Swindoll. The book's called Improving Your Serve, The Art of Unselfish Living. This book has taught me so much uh, in the time that I've owned it. I want to read something for you that Chuck Swindoll writes in there. He says this, In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft and virtually spineless, but not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength under control being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise beside themselves and possessing tact 
and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain retain their self-esteem, their dignity, instead of losing the gentle gain. Instead of being ripped off and taken advantage of, they come out ahead. How many of you believe that? Well, I mean, it sounds good, right? It sounds kind of poetic. But in practice, does it really work that way? In essence, what he's saying here is biblical gentleness. Biblical gentleness is power under God's control. Power under God's control. And what that requires really is humility. Us willing to humble ourselves. And what we're going to talk about in a couple weeks, which is self-control. That's kind of a big deal when it comes to exuding gentleness. But the reason I shared the story at the beginning of this is because this illustrates the word perfectly. In fact, the Greeks, and I talked about this in our As It Is series, uh, when we talked about meekness and, and different things like that, is this idea of horsepower. That's how the Greeks use the word gentleness. It's the idea that you've got all of this power, but you've bridled it. You've harnessed it, and you've brought it under control. Unleashed, it's very dangerous. But once it's under control, specifically in our situation with gentleness, under God's control, it becomes something completely different. Something completely different. In fact, one way to understand this is we could easily say that power under God's control breeds life. But if you take power and you take it out from under God's control, more than likely it breeds death. Power breeds death. Here's another date, October 1st, 2017. It's the largest mass shooting that's taken place in the history of the United States, modern history of the United States. It took place in Las Vegas. One man unleashed over a thousand rounds into a large crowd. 60 people died. Over 850 people were injured as a result of power unleashed out of control, out from under God's control. Now, that's a really extreme example, okay? Really extreme example, but I think you and I know that unbridled power can be abused in all kinds of different ways and with different tools. How many of you ever experienced a relationship that's been broken because somebody misused their power? Their power wasn't really under God's control, okay? The Life Application Bible says that gentleness is considerate of others and submissive to God. That's really good. It's considerate of others, gentleness is, but it's also submissive to God. To me, that sounds like that's powerful. That requires power to do that. And as we've gone through this series together, we've agreed that we don't produce this fruit. You and I don't do this. This is, this is an issue, and this is a work of the Holy Spirit. We've got to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to us things in our life that we need to surrender so that the Holy Spirit can nurture this gentleness. And you might be kind of thinking, well, I can wake up in the morning and I can try to be a more gentle person. I'll do the seven things to tell me to be a better gentle person today. You can try that if you want, but we're going to talk about some radical gentleness here in just a second. That's just otherworldly. It doesn't make any sense to be this gentle in certain situations, but there's got to be a deeper work of the Holy Spirit for this kind of gentleness that we're talking about to be manifested in our lives. So there's something to surrender. Maybe there are other things that God would have you surrender. On your outlines there, on your paper, there's a blank. You don't have to write my word down. It may be something else for you, 
But as I prayed through this and as we've gone through this series together, I've asked myself these questions, Rich. All right, if if self-control, if love, if patience are going to emerge into your life and the Holy Spirit's going to have some soil to work with, what are some things I got to pull out of the way? What are some things I need to surrender in order for you to be able to do this? For me, this one, it's vengeance. Sounds like a really dangerous word, doesn't it? Vengeance. It's my experience, mine, my experience, that when gentleness gets thrown out the window, it's because I've experienced some perceived or real or not real uh, threat or injustice to myself, or more specifically, there's been some injustice that's been done to my people, my family, my church, my friends, whoever. Um, The dictionary defines vengeance as punishment or retribution inflicted on an injury or a wrong, which, let's be honest, that sounds right. That sounds fair. Somebody does something wrong, there should be something on the other side of that to counterbalance it. You've done me an injustice, therefore you receive punishment, so the balances of justice will be even. That's fair, right? That's, that's how our world operates. However, our problem is we're very, 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 very human. <laughs> and human justice and human vengeance ride a really thin, close line. And vengeance is very aggressive and angry. It's not gentle. I mean, human justice says, look, the Bible says an eye for an eye. It does, doesn't it? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, tit for tat, whatever. I mean, you did something wrong, you deserve something wrong to be done to you. That's how the balances go. That's how the scales go. But then Jesus shows up and he just messes everything up. Not just by like the stuff that he says, but even just the stuff he does. He screws the whole system up to where it just becomes some other thing. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 32. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? Sounds good. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So if you've been hanging out with us, we did that As It Is series. We went through the, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where this is from. This idea of turning one cheek, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other It's in terms of insults. If somebody insults you, if somebody assaults you verbally, if somebody does you an injustice, you don't get to do an injustice back. In other words, you don't return insult for insult. Man, my mom reads a smart aleck. And I tell you what, man, given the moment, I would love to let it fly. That's hard. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anybody forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. This, none of this sounds fair. None of this sounds right. That's not how the world operates. We talked about this. The world paints a really sobering picture of the kind of a people who live like this. They get walked on. They find themselves on the short end of the stick, the short end of the power spectrum. They don't get things done. People who live like this don't accomplish much in this life. Or do they? Or do they? This is the upside-down nature of Jesus. I was thinking about a story this last week. It's two stories, but it kind of combines into one, where you see really the power of gentleness instead of well-deserved vengeance. 
where somebody took a stand of gentleness. And because of that stand of gentleness, instead of taking what probably was rightful to pursue justice, instead of taking that route, today their words reverberate even louder today, I think, than they did back when this happened. Back in 1955, December 5th, 1955, Rosa Parks, which all of you have probably heard of, Rosa Parks is the one who in that bus in Montgomery, Alabama, refused to give up her seat and go to the back of the bus just because she was black. She refused to do it. And what happened then was this cascade of events where there was a bus boycott. Then it transitioned into an actual movement and organization called the Montgomery Improvement Association. And as soon as the Montgomery Improvement Association started, they had to appoint a president for their organization, so they found the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and they appointed him, 27 years old, not long married, a 10-month-old baby. And here he is the president of this movement now that's taking place. Okay, so in January then of 56, he's sitting at home, he gets a phone call, and this is what he hears on the other end. We're tired of you. If you are not out of town in three days, we're going to bomb your house. Click. That's what he hears. Okay. I don't know about you, but that would have ha hit me pretty hard. So sure enough, three days later, he's in a meeting somewhere else. Somebody busts in the door and says, Dr. King, somebody bombed your house. Well, his wife and kid were home. So he hurries up, he goes home, and this is what he sees. A bomb had blown off the front of his house the front of his house. His wife and 10-month-old son were in the back, and so they were uninjured. And so as you would expect, this is a big deal, and a mob shows up with weapons, and they are ready to exact vengeance. They are right there to assert their right to come back and return insult for insult. They're, they're there to exact vengeance. And what I want to do is I want to read for you the words of Dr. King that he said to that crowd as they gathered outside of his broken house in that moment. These are otherworldly words. These do not come from man. This is the most amazing thing. He said this, if you have weapons, take them home. If you do not have weapons, do not seek them. We cannot solve this problem through violence. We must meet violence with nonviolence. Then he said this, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. And he said, remember, this movement will not stop because God is with it. Okay, can I just tell you, I'm trying as hard as I can to be the best follower of Jesus that I can. But holy cow, you bomb the front of my house with my family inside? That is not normal. That is an otherworldly response. And, and I think Dr. King understood something that our world in mass, including me, forgets so many times, and it's this. There is more power in a gentle response than there is in an unrestrained one. I'm going to say it again. It's not on the screen if you want to write it down. There is more power in a gentle response 
than there is in an unrestrained one. And here's why I say that. Dr. King would go on to do things and make statements after that date that still are seismic in their influence, even today as we still struggle with this idea and this issue of racial reconciliation. His words carry authority today. His words in 2021 carry power and weight because in that moment, he didn't respond a different way. His words would have a whole lot less weight, wouldn't they? And they'd carry a whole lot less power if he'd get in, given into the nature of saying, I'm going to exact vengeance. If you don't have weapons, go get them. Here we go. But instead, even long gone, his words carry weight and power and authority because he was gentle. He was gentle. Listen, it's otherworldly. And that's, that's why it feels so odd and not normal and why it's so rare. We just don't see this anymore. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And I would love to believe that his response would have been my response. I mean, I've had people poke at my family before, and I don't like bullies. And so there's a part of me that's like, yeah, all right, gloves are off. Here we go. But that's not the response that's needed. That's not a redemptive, reconciliatory type of response. No one has ever bombed my house. <laughs> no one's ever bombed my house. Where does the strength to respond like this come from? That gentleness, it's subversive power that's under control. It comes from Jesus. Was Jesus treated unfairly? I mean, Judas betrayed him, one of his 12, right? Sold him out. Peter, who is arguably one of his closest, pretended not to know him while he was on trial. While he was ready to face death, Peter disowned him. The only disciple present for the crucifixion and resurrection, or crucifixion and, and all of that stuff, was John, okay? I mean, they all abandoned him. They all betrayed him. They all turned their backs on him. And, and it was in Matthew 26, this is what Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's Jesus. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of sorrow and to death to death. All right, now here's the deal. I've been around like some melodramatic people before who like makes the, I'm starving. No, you're not. Rich, you're not starving. Okay, I'm not. All right. But I mean, I don't think Jesus was melodramatic. I think the stuff that came out of Jesus' mouth he meant. All right. And he in this moment in the garden praying, is like, I am overwhelmed. I'm literally, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. But then he says this, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. But, not my will, yours be done. Then he gets up and he proceeds to walk away from that place of prayer into the hands of his accusers, this mob that gathers. Instead of defending himself, instead of calling down angels to bring fire on everybody and just wipe them all out, which he had complete power to do, instead of doing all of that stuff, he bridled all of that power, all of that stuff, all that strength, he bridled it all so that he could walk into the very thing that you and I needed him to do most, a death and a resurrection. Oh, the precious blood of Jesus that we sang about has forgiven us of all of our sins. That's what bridal power accomplishes. He did it for us, for something bigger. 
whether he was washing feet, whether he was serving people lunch, healing the sick, or receiving beatings. Jesus knew, he knew he was the Son of God sent to serve and to restore. He knew he was here for something bigger. That's the gentleness we see from God. It was Christ's gentleness that allowed him to forgive allowed him to love. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's an otherworldly thing. They don't know what they're doing. They're killing me, but they, they just don't know. They don't know. So, Father, please give them grace. It's amazing. It's amazing. He calls us to be like that. It's not in us. It's not in us. And as we draw this to a close... Can I just bring you some practical application here? Um, and then I want to share with you a really special announcement. But if you're going to surrender something in your life, for me, like I said, it's vengeance. It's this idea of retribution kind of a thing. Um, if you're going to surrender something like that, allow the Holy Spirit to nurture gentleness in your life, it's going to require, first of all, for you to be submissive, which is not a very popular word. Be submissive. Paul writes this in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in my love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, if, if the Holy Spirit is going to be able to nurture this kind of love that we've talked about, this kind of patience, this kind of faithfulness, this kind of gentleness that we've talked about. If, if the Holy Spirit is going to do that, it only happens when we finally say, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And we, we literally hand over the reins. It's like I prayed earlier when Paul in Romans says, make yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and blameless in his sight. He says, essentially, Put yourself on the altar. Live on the altar where you're sacrificing yourself. You're submitting yourself unto the Lord, Lordship and the reign of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? Next Sunday, Pastor Andrew Patton is going to be here sharing. Uh, Pastor Andrew filled in a few Sundays there in January and February before I came. He's a great guy, great accent. I love it. South African accent that's kind of mixed with some Jersey stuff, uh, but uh, he's, a, he's a fantastic guy. He's going to share uh, just a powerful, powerful message about what it means and just kind of pull all of this together. He's done an amazing job of what it looks like now to say, okay, okay, these aren't showing up in my life and here's why. I'm going to hand those things over. You're going to want to be here. You're going to want to tune in and be a part of what he shares with you next week. I believe God's given him a very, very specific message. I'm excited to, to hear it. But here's the deal. Uh, if you and I can't submit ourselves to God, 
I don't know in what world we think that we would be able to exhibit gentleness. If, if I had a table in front of me when God was forming me in my mother's womb and said, all right, Rich, pick. Pick, pick the qualities that you want in your life. I don't think gentleness would have been a quality I picked. Authority, leadership, giftedness, you know, uh, good looks. I mean, I, the ability to drive really fast. Uh, all the, I mean, I, I would have picked all of those things. But here's the problem with all of those things. Outside of being under the lordship of Jesus, what are those things about? They're about me. They're about boosting me up. Gentleness is about me pulling back and allowing him to use me to do what needs to be done. It requires humility. It also requires us to be teachable. Teachable. James 1.21, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. It says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Are you teachable? Am I teachable? Am I willing at some point to say when somebody says, Pastor Rich, what do you think about A, B, C, and D? And I, I, can I have the opportunity to say, I don't know. But let me look. Let me pray about that. And, and, and I can, we can have a conversation. If we feel like we've shown up in a situation and we're all that in a bag of chips, that you can't teach me anything or I can't teach you anything or any of that stuff, we're not teachable in that moment. We're lacking humility. To be gentle requires humility. In 20 plus years of ministry, I can tell you one of the number one barriers to a lack of gentleness in fact, one of the greatest contributors to essentially the opposite of gentleness is pride. Pride. A lack of humility. And humility is the core to receiving exactly what God has done for us. Does it not require for you to receive Christ as your Savior, to accept his gift of forgiveness for your sins, to admit that you need forgiveness to begin with? That you are a sinner and that you need his grace. That's a requirement. To receive it, it's humility. Humility. And then the last one is be considerate. Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. This is a part of our partnership covenant in this church, a part of our worship covenant, a volunteer covenant, all kinds of different things. The powerful, powerful verse, Ephesians 4, 1 through 2. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul is saying that our walk may not be considered worthy. If somebody was observing how we walk and present ourselves, somebody might be looking at that walk and saying, I don't know if that's worthy to have the name of Jesus attached to it. If we are betraying Christ by lacking gentleness among ourselves, humility, love, grace. Ultimately, all of what we've really talked about in this series comes to a culmination in a couple weeks when we talk about self-control. Who's excited? Self-control. Um, I, I hope and I pray this series, I mean, it's been really important to me, and I hope that this has benefited you at all. I feel like uh, here at the front end of my time with you, um, you know, and I, I love you and I want to make sure that we situate ourselves on the right foundation. And we have a desire that we might be able to point to these things, I think, and say this is us.
We are love. We are joy. We are peace. Those things can be found among us and with us. And I'm excited to, to take that journey. I hope this has been a beneficial series to you. Uh, before we close, what I want to do is I want to share with you a special announcement, which means I want to take you on a little journey because that's what I do. I talk. So we're going to rewind the tape back last fall. When I was interviewing to be your pastor, it was over several months, uh, but uh, at some point in the beginning of October, the district superintendent asked me if I would come on a Wednesday night and meet with about 30 leaders, 30, 40 leaders, and so we met in a room here in the building, and it was really just a question and answer session. I shared my story, and then there was a lot of questions and answers. It was really, it was really, really good, and uh, it gave me an opportunity to see some things, so it was good. Uh, there was a question that was brought to me in the middle of that, which was a really great question. And somebody asked about staff. You as a pastor, are you going to be bringing any staff members with you? And then kind of the subsequent question was, what kind of a staff do you need, pastor, to do what you need to do here? And so I asked that question in a little bit different way. So for me, when it comes to staff members, and when it comes to adding staff members in our church, it's not an issue of what I need. It's an issue of what we need. <laughs> what do we need to fulfill the mission of the church, to continue to move us forward in, in fulfilling a vision that God's going to give us and to really put some pieces into place so we can continue to move forward as a church? And so I think the response that I gave at that point was, honestly, I'm not bringing anybody. You have some staff members. You've got You've got somebody helping with worship. You've got somebody helping with youth. You've got somebody helping with children. You've got Chandra as our operations director. We've got a, a staff person, Kaylin, in the office. We've got janitorial. We, we have staff, okay? And so what I did was I up front made a high commitment, and I said, look, if, if our staff are teachable, I am, I'm putting my eggs in that basket. I'm, I'm ready to pour myself into those staff members. And I hopefully, over the last six months, you've seen those staff members begin to, to engage and rise up, and, and I'm highly committed to the staff that we have. And I think in that meeting, I said something along the lines of, you know, I need at least six months. Um, for me to be here, I mean, I, I think you understand this, when you all of a sudden meet 450 people, you don't know exactly what you're going to get, and you didn't know exactly what you're going to get with me, and so I needed to have time for God to reveal to me, first of all, where are we at as a church? We're coming out of covid you're coming out of a really long gap between pastors. And so trying to flesh out where are we at financially, where are we at? You know, when it comes to feasibility and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, what are the needs? There's a time and a season, I think, for a church to hire people who do specific things, like one-off position. This is the pastor of that specific thing. We're at a place right now as a church where I'm not sure that that's our position, okay? Uh, we have a lot of needs, and actually, so about a few, few months ago, I started a conversation with the staff and the church board about what does it look like to add a staff person, and honestly, it began with a one-off need, but as that conversation grew and God began to reveal some things, it got a little broader and broader and broader to the point where we recognized, okay, we need to just call a straight-up full-time associate pastor, a generalist, who can give leadership to all kinds of different things in the life of the church. One of the things you're going to hear over the next six months more of is the development of ministry teams, ministry action teams. 
And our goal in this church really is to make sure we're all mobilized for ministry. Uh, ministry is not a professional designation. Every one of us is called to ministry, okay? And I feel like as good stewards, your staff, including me, to be a good steward means that we need to be equipping other people to do ministry as well, not just us. And so the development of ministry teams is a big deal. So we realized, okay, if we're going to move in that direction, we've got some decisions to make. And so God began putting some things on my heart. And I'm, I'm, one of the things I want you to know, man, I moved here with no intention of bringing anybody with me. And then God started messing with me. <laughs> and so uh, I really, really held off until literally about three weeks ago. And uh, I'd worked through a job description with the church board. I worked through that with the staff and with other leaders and different things. And so finally, uh, with the church board, they approved the position and everything, and we started moving forward. And then uh, last week, we had uh, a candidate with us here during the weekend to just kind of come experience church here, experience some of you, uh, experience our security team, because he was here on the first service just kind of wandering around. And I think, I think our security guys were like, who's this dude that's wandering around? Which, good guy, good job, guys. Um, but uh, his name's Ben Chattel. And I, I'm pleased to tell you that uh, on August 22nd, Ben Chattel, Pastor Ben, will be joining us as the associate pastor here at, uh, at Real Life. Yeah. And you can see on the screen there, a lot of that focus is ministry development, team development, mission development. He's another pastoral resource. Uh, pastor Ben, right now actually, is preaching in uh, Racine. He was a staff member of mine in Racine. And when I came to a point of realizing that I was being released from Racine and, and God started working in my heart about new chapters opening up, uh, I don't know that Pastor Ben was at that point as my staff member, so I was, I was very careful and I never said anything. I, if I was ever going to call Ben, I wanted to make sure that God had already worked that out in his heart too. And over the last few months, God had been working that out in his heart as well. So I actually held off from talking to Ben about any of this until a few weeks ago. I wanted to be really careful. And uh, he's super excited about being here. His wife, Hillary, they do not live in the mountains, by the way. They live in Racine, Wisconsin, so <laughs> they don't live in the mountains. But uh, Ben's there in the middle. On the right is Isla. She's five. She'll be six. She'll be going to kindergarten this year. And right there, a kid after my own heart, he's got chocolate all over his face. That's Parker. Parker's two and a half, and uh, they're fun. And uh, they are truly a couple of people and a family who embody what it means to live incarnationally. You're going to hear me say more about that next spring as well, I think. But this idea of Christ moved into the neighborhood. Christ moved into the neighborhood and lived among the people. Ben and Hillary, to me, in my own experience, embody that more than anybody else. And there's going to be some neat things we're going to do over the next few weeks to kind of help you understand who they are and what their role is going to be. Uh, a lot of it is just going to be helping in a lot of different areas. Uh, so be ready to embrace them. And I just want to invite you to be praying for them. He is preaching right now, actually, in Racine and sharing with them this news right now as we speak. And so be praying for that church in Racine as well. Their new pastor arrives August 1st. We'll see how he feels about me after I just took Ben from Racine. But, uh, you know, we're, we'll be all right. But uh, God does these things and pieces these things together, and I'm excited. I'm excited about how the rest of the team, the staff, has embraced him. And uh, here we go. That was a long explanation, but that's what I do. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you would.
Let's pray together. If you have any questions at all, if you want to see a job description, I can give you a job description. But uh, if you have any questions at all, don't hesitate to contact me. And uh, I'd be more than happy to sit down and chat with you about any of this. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace for us. We're about to walk out of this door, uh, hoping that gentleness will be manifested in our lives. And I'm absolutely positive you're going to give us an opportunity to see whether it is. And so, Father, in those opportunities, would you also reveal to us anything that we hold on to, any, anything that's in the soil of our lives that needs to be pulled out so that when you do this, it has fertile soil to grow. At the same time, too, Father, we lift up the knees. We pray for Ben today, that you would uh, just continue to give him and Hillary and those kids wisdom as they discern, Father, what this all means for them as they make this pretty significant transition in the weeks ahead. At the same time, too, we pray for Racine Community Church, that you would continue to guide them as they embrace this new pastor into their lives and uh, into their family. And uh, we know that there will be changes and challenges, but at the same time, that's your church just like this is your church. And so, Father, your son Jesus is the head. He's Lord of the church. Help them to submit to you as we submit to you. And help us, Father, now as the body of Christ, not just before the region, but help us to live in the region as people who have been transformed by your grace and your power. Help people to see gentleness in us that draws them to a faith in you. We love you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Please, please, please think about what it looks like for you to bring some supplies for the back-to-school fair. Thanks. God bless.